We are week three in our series on um, life's big questions. And this is a series all about, uh, about life's big questions. We've been, we've been talking about uh, questions that people have had for years, um, since the beginning of time, really, right? So last couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, why we're, like, how did we get here? We talked about, uh, was there an intelligent design? Did something or someone put us here? Uh, why, do, why, are we, why are we here? Why do we exist? That was the first week. Second week, Nick talked about the good life. What, is it, what does it look like to have a good life? And uh, he talked about if someone put us here, um, and, and we believe that that was the God of the Bible, but if someone put us here, uh, how does he define the good life? And what does it look like to walk in his way? Tonight, the question that we're going to be discussing is what is desire? What is desire and what do we do with it? Um, Webster Dictionary has this definition. Always gotta go to Webster, right? Classic. Desire, a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. To, to be human is the desire. Everyone in this room has desires that you guys walked into tonight, likely um, wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen very badly. It can, there's a, a vast array of things that you can desire, right? It can be a relationship with someone, it could be, uh, it could be an item uh, or a possession, it could be status, it could be things like legacy, uh, what you'll be known for after you're gone. Uh, but the, the, the next question I wanna ask is, is desire good? Is desire good? Should we pursue desire or detach from it? There's arguments for both, and the first one I wanna talk about is detachment. Buddhist perspective emphasizes that desire is the primary source of suffering. They would argue that we should not pursue our desires, but we should detach ourselves from our desires because after all, uh, like desire does at times feel insatiable. Like it does at times feel like it cannot be satisfied. You get that thing and then you want the next thing. And so Buddhist thought is just be content with what you have. Don't desire more things because you're never gonna be fulfilled anyway and it just leads to let down. Uh, outside of Buddhist perspective, there's other people that would say like desire is is ultimately bad. They would say, don't pursue desire because pursuing desire leads to things like competition and climbing the food chain and kicking others down. It leads to um, people hurting each other. And that's, that's fair. Uh, there's another argument though, which is an argument for pursuing desire. Should we pursue desire? So we have, we have Buddhists and others on one hand saying, don't pursue desire because it leads to let down and it leads to hurt. And we have people on the other side, people like Oprah, uh, self-help experts and, and other health coaches, uh, encourage us to manifest our desires, right? Just manifest it, believe it, make it true. Uh, they tell us that desire is, a, is, a, is our soul's roadmap. They say things like, um, this is just off of some websites I found. Sylvia Salo website, just says, if you follow your desires coming from follow your desires coming from your soul, they'll lead you to fulfill your purpose. The soul's desires are like internal GPSs. 
Or how about this one? You gotta love the website title, livemybestlife.com. They were really happy when they locked in that domain name. They're like, yes, no one took it yet. They say, what do you want? Naming what your heart desires is the key to creating an amazing and authentic life. In other words, if you deny your desires, you aren't being true to yourself or living an amazing and authentic life, right? So we have two schools of thought, um, detach from desire because it will only let you down, and another school of thought that says, pursue it because it's what will make your life amazing. It is in fact the roadmap to your soul. So which is it? Should we detach from our desires? Should we deny our desires? Or should we go full on, full fledged for our desires? Um, scripture actually says that, that desires are not all equal. Scripture says that there are some desires that we should pursue and some that we should detach from. So the answer to what does scripture say is both and neither, right? Like don't, don't detach from desire, but don't detach from all desire and pursue desires, but only certain desires. So there, they would categorize, scripture would categorize this into holy desires and unholy desires. Some desires, if followed, will produce life um, and flourishing in our lives. Uh, and some will, will produce death and destruction. So if you, if you simply follow the road, your desires for the roadmap of your soul, right, you could, that GPS could be leading you to destruction or it could be leading you to flourishing depending on what desire it is. Desires can, can um, form your moments of greatest joy in moments of darkest grief. They can make you, desires can make you both expectant and hopeful in one moment and very demanding and complaining in the next moment. They can make you susceptible to temptation and desires at other times help you defend yourself against temptation. Desires can make you, um, make you some, of your some of the best friends in your life and desires can cause you to drive people further away. Desire can cause you to be generous or desire can cause you to hoard things. It's important to be able to, to identify your desires because as your desires go, so goes your life. Whatever desires, whatever desire rules your heart will ultimately control your words and behavior. As your desires go, so goes your life. And I wanna start just by talking about these unholy desires. Unholy desires. What are unholy desires? Scripture, actually, there's moments when scripture gives us a list of unholy desires. Um, how, how would we determine if a desire is holy or unholy? I think there's some, outside of scripture, I think there's some other really practical ways. Uh, does it bring like flourishing in life? Does it bring destruction to you? Does it lead to community with God and others or does it lead to isolation? These are some other cues. Like you can, scripture obviously is, our, is what helps us identify these the most, but then there are some other things outside of that. Would your Christian community say like, yeah, that's a righteous desire, that's a holy desire. And does scripture point us to it? But here we have Galatians. It gives us a list of just a few. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So scripture defines some unholy desires for us. They're, it's usually de, um, coined like we, scripture says that we lust after certain things. There's the, our flesh that draws us to things that aren't best for us. We desire them because of pleasure or because of sinful nature, lots of different reasons. Um, which leads me to, some of you didn't know this was about to take this turn, leads me to um, Smeagol, Gollum, right? Check this out. Okay, back. All right, Lord of the Rings fans. Um, so Gollum or Smeagol, a character from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series, serves as a cautionary tale about the corrupting influence of desire. He is a complex character who becomes consumed by his desire for the one ring, right? This is, we've got here that his, or kind of his origin story. You've got uh, Smeagol and his buddy, it's actually his brother, Deagle. They're having this great fishing time. They're, they're just hanging in the boat, fishing. His brother, Deagle, catches a fish, is pulled off the boat, is pulled to the bottom of the stream and finds the one ring. He pulls it out and he's stoked on it and then Smeagol's like, hey, bro, let me take a look at that. And then he's like, let me have it. Actually, let me kill you on the spot and run off to the wilderness. Um, and in the story of Lord of the Rings, uh, he becomes uh, less of a hobbit and more of a monster, right? The scariest stage being the in-between, obviously. Um, but we see that throughout the Lord of the Rings, we see the inner turmoil of this character. He wants to be in community with the other characters like Sam and uh, Frodo. He, we, we see at moments he wants to be kind, he wants to be who he should be, uh, but he is under a dark obsession for the ring. He ends up lying, deceiving, and killing to possess it right up to the end where his obsession leads to his death. You, you can picture the scene. He's falling into the volcano and he's like looking at the ring like, I got it, right before he melts away. Um, and, and there's this line that he gives, right? He says this, he has a split personality. This, this dark desire causes him to have a split personality. There's Smeagol and Gollum are the two sides of personality. This is, this is a line from Gollum. It says, we forgot the taste of bread, the sound of trees, the softness of the wind. We even forgot our own name. So in Smeagol's life, desire leads to corruption and death. And uh, you may or, may or may not have known this, J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian. I believe actually that he was riffing on a couple scriptural truths about desire. And I think he was using uh, Smeagol and Gollum as a, as a warning to us. Here's one of these truths. Unholy desire produces evil in our world. Unholy desire produces evil in our world. Uh, I didn't really think about this truth until I saw someone else write it down. I, I was reading it and I was like, that is true. But check this out. Unholy desires are the source of all evil that exists in the world today. If there's an evil in the world, you can trace it back to another person's desire. A desire for power, a desire for um, oil, I don't know, whatever, right? Whatever it might be, you can chase it back. Desire. And check this out, James, the brother of Jesus, he explains that what happens when jealousy and desire, what it causes. It says here, 
Uh, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Second truth that I think uh, that Tolkien's hitting on is this. Unholy desire leads to decay in our own lives. Un not only does it like lead to killing out in the world, it does, not only does it lead to death and destruction out in the world, but unholy desire actually leads to, to, leads to destruction and death in our own, own lives. There's actually this intense verse I'm about to show you that says that, that our evil desire drags us away, right? We like to think at times that we're in control of our evil desires, but this verse gives the imagery of our, our evil desires being in control of us, actually dragging us away. Check this out. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. What starts with desire leads to sin, and what, what becomes sin becomes death and destruction in our life. First uh, Peter 2.11 doubles down on this fact. It says, Dear friends, I you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And so that's, what, that's the power of unholy desire. That's the power of, of sinful desire. It, it will cause destruction in our world and it will cause death and destruction in our own lives. I wanna to turn to holy desire. Now, holy desires. What, what are, what's the cause, uh, or what is the, what, what's the effect of holy desire in our life? I'm really excited about this part of our message. Um, I don't wanna go there yet, sorry. Um, many people in our world believe that desire, like I already mentioned, is insatiable, that, it's, that it can never be satisfied. They believe that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy the soul, and they're actually correct. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy your soul. C.S. Lewis says it like this, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Your desire will never be satisfied um, through this world, but, it, but there is one in whom it can be satisfied. A pastor of mine, we've said this many times in our youth ministry, but a pastor of mine used to say that there is a God-shaped hole in each of our hearts. The more that we try to fill it with other things, the more that we try to fill it with other desires, it's kind of like... Um, my two-year-old son has the classic toy with the stars and the squares. You put them in the right holes. We try to stuff things in that God-shaped hole that only God can fit into. God's, God is the only thing big enough to satisfy our desires. Psalm 37, 4 says, not, not just that God um, is able to fulfill our desires, but that, that, he, uh, that if we delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Check this out, Psalm 37, four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm, Psalm 73, 25 says, oh, you know what? It says, uh, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is no one upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
And so we see that God both put desire in us and is able to satisfy that desire and that he is actually eager to satisfy the desires of our heart. It's important to know that the way that when it says that God will satisfy, delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart, that that doesn't mean that delight in the Lord and he'll give you that like a brand new car. What it's saying is that delight in the Lord and he will, he will actually change your desires to be from worldly, unholy, sinful desires to be his desires. And that, when, and that there's actually a change that happens in us when we accept Jesus and we accept the Holy Spirit in our life. When we say, God, I want you to be in that God-shaped hole in my heart, he says, all right, let's go. And I'm gonna actually change your desires. There's things that, that it says that, that in Ephesians, we used to walk in one way, but now we walk in another way. We took off the old self and we put on the new self. And there's some things, maybe for some of you that are brand new Christians, you're going like, I wanna follow Jesus, but there's still some of these old desires that are hanging on. Keep clinging to Christ. I actually believe that one day, the sins that are hard for you to say no to now will actually become more and more uh, uh, more and more unappealing. That you might wake up one day and go, I can't believe I used to desire that. I can't believe I used to participate in that. God's actually renewed my desires. He's given me a new way of thinking. He's renewed my desires. He's given me his desires. And so what are, uh, what are some, some of these holy desires? Let's just look at a few. Uh, I think that a Christ-centered, oh, I have the scripture references here. Okay, a Christ-centered marriage is one. I believe um, a Christ-centered family is another holy desire. Um, Romans 10.1 uh, talks about how uh, the, Paul's desire, actually, for, uh, for the Pharisee, for the Jews to know Christ. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So a, a holy desire is for someone to know Christ. That's a holy desire. A desire for righteousness. This is out of Jesus' own mouth, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's actually a holy desire to desire righteousness. Matthew 5, uh, a desire to be, become holy and sanctified. This is a, one of the few scriptures, I looked through scripture a lot this week, looking for God's desires, for God's desires, and this is one of God's expressed desires for you, that you would become holy and sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified just means to be set apart for God's special use and purpose. It's God's desire that you would be set apart for his purposes, not your own purposes. And it's actually his desire that he would give you, um, that he would give you a purpose. He wants you to have meaning and purpose in your life. Another holy desire is a desire for heaven, Philippians 1, 23 through 24. This is where Paul says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Uh, there's this cool verse in Hebrews 11:16 where it's talking about all the heroes of faith. And it says, uh, but, as, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. It is a holy desire to want to be a, a part of God's holy city one day, his, to be a part of heaven. Desire to be with other believers. This is just one of many, but Paul is always saying things like, like 1 Thessalonians 2.17. But since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, 
We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. The desire to be with other, other believers, that is a holy desire. Although I'm in, like all, a lot of these, a couple of them, one's God, one's Jesus, but a lot of these are Paul, right? You look at the life of Paul, that's a man with holy desire. He's not asking for upgraded chariots or luxury hotel rooms or vacations. He's just hitting the pavement. He, he's pursuing Jesus, he's pursuing God, and he's pursuing, um, he's pursuing Christ, he's pursuing righteousness, he's pursuing becoming holy and sanctified, all of these things. But I do find some comfort in Romans 15, 20. This is where Paul, even Paul, the apostle, says, I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. There were moments in Paul's life where he said, I, I have the desire, I have the longing to, to, to follow my holy desires, but I keep following these wrong desires. Maybe you're in the same spot. May you be comforted that even Paul, at moments, struggled with desire. He wasn't, he wasn't a perfect apostle. But, but we, there's a lot in scripture that, that, that shows us what, what to do if we're in that spot. If you find yourself in the same spot as Paul, you want to do good, but you struggle to do so, uh, here are some things that you can do. I'll just start with number one. Crucify your unholy desires. This might sound really interesting, but um, Galatians actually says this. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucify your unholy desires. Run from your unholy desires. This is 2 Timothy 2.22 is the one that says run. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The best way to crucify the flesh is to, is to starve it out, right? There's desires in our life, things that, that we want that, that aren't God's design. Um, there are some spiritual practices or disciplines that, that, that we would say uh, help starve these desires out. They're, they're called the disciplines of abstinence, abstaining from certain things, right? Some of these would include things like silence and solitude. Uh, fasting is a big one. Some people would say, like, what, what's the, what place does fasting hold in our Christian faith? Like, not many people actually fast. To, to say, like, I'm not going to, to fast from a meal is, is like Christian tradition. To fast from, a, from, from food for a set-aside certain amount of time. And one of the reasons that we do that, even though it seems really odd to us, is to say, my desires don't control me, but I actually control my desires. Now, is eating food an unholy desire? No. But it's, it's nice to be able to like control our desires when um, in, a, in a circumstance that's safe to do so. If you slip up and you eat like a candy bar, it's not like you've sinned. But when, you say, when you're able to say no to the hungers of your flesh, the desires, to your desires, you're training yourself up so that when it's really gonna count, you're able to say no to your unholy desires. That's one of the reasons we fast as Christians. Um, Another thing that you can do is you can cultivate your, cultivate your holy desires. These are, if the other ones are disciplines of abstinence, these would be disciplines of engagement, things that we can do that will cultivate our holy desires. These are things like worship, reading our Bible, prayer, acts of service to others, being in Christian community, these things actually cannot fulfill our desires on our own, but they can bring us to the one who can. 
There's a psalm that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, this is, as I was saying earlier, this isn't about getting a race car. This instead is about cultivating our holy desires, our desires, and then these desires leading us into deeper love and richer contentment, right? And um, I'll just say for a moment, like before I was really serious about my faith, uh, there was a, a lot of these worldly desires I was chasing after. Like when I was kind of like, when I was kind of claiming Christ but not living the lifestyle, I'd, I'd say there were certain things like where I'm like, here's an unholy desire. I want it, but I know I shouldn't, right? Whether it's like, it was like sexual temptation or popularity. I'm in, I was in your guys' boats, middle school, high school. And I'm like, like, I don't wanna engage in sexual activity. And one, I was like kind of blessed not to be cool enough to do that anyways. I didn't have any game anyway. I think that was God's grace in my life. But in my mind, I'm like, but it is, it is like, it is tempting. I can't say that I don't desire it. There's things like, do I wanna be popular? Yeah, of course I do. Like, I remember freshman year, like seeking popularity, joining the football team. I'm, I, which by the way, like I was so bad at football, but why did I join? I literally wanted to be popular. I joined football because I wanted the guys to like me and I wanted the girls to like me. It's why I joined. And I got, the, I got beat up every practice and I never got a start. And I just remember like having social anxiety, walking into school. I hope this person likes me. I hope that this person likes me. Hoping that like my life was going to amount to something um, based on my worldly desires. And it wasn't until like I started following Jesus and he started changing my desires that like I started, I started being like, oh, what? I don't even really want a girlfriend right now, actually. I, that desire is like, I do, but not one that's not good for me. And I don't really care about football. I'm gonna join the cross country team. And you know what, actually like, uh, I don't have to be so nervous around people because if they like me, I don't really care because I have a God in heaven that does, that, that like loves me and cares for me. And that's what my identity is based on. And so what's crazy is that when you give God your desires, really like all the rest is added to you. Like when, you're, when your desire is in the right order, you're saying, God, you're first. What's crazy is that these other things I cared about started like working out in a godly way. Like I made God my number one priority and I'm not saying this to, to boast in my strength, just to say like God placed like a God-given confidence in me. Senior year, I was, they like labeled me in the yearbook as most changed since freshman year. Because instead of being this insecure kid who was worried about getting a girlfriend and worried about being popular on the football team, I was like confident in who I was. I loved cross country and I loved joking around with my buddy Nick. And people are like, dude, he's changed so much since freshman year. And it's not like I pursued God and I got, and that it was like, I pursued God so that I would become confident. I'm not saying that should be anyone's motivation, but it is really crazy about the more that I try to place those things in that God spot, the less they worked out for me. Like the more that I tried to place a relationship with a girl in, that, in the spot that God existed, the less that girl things were working out. The more I tried to place sports and popularity in God's seat, the less they worked out. The more I placed God in his place, his throne in my life, 
the, the more that these other things just started following me. I got to college and my desires were more correct about relationships and I got to marry someone that loved the Lord and was like a benefit to my life. And it's just crazy because it's one of those things like you, I remember looking back at some points in my life and going like, God, thank you so much. I always wanted this. And I've said this a lot too, but God continues to remind me, no, you didn't. You didn't always want this good life. You wanted your version of the good life and it actually was terrible. And so um, that's what I would say. Pursue God's way and like, I think you'll be surprised at how he just continues to bless you. God really does want to give you good things. He's not trying to keep good things from you. And so I would just wrap up with this one. Discern your desires, where are your desires at? Um, remember, as I said at the start, whatever desire rules your heart will ultimately control your words and behavior. Um, whatever, whichever, whatever desires rule your heart will ultimately control, control your words and behavior. Oftentimes, our desires are operating at a subconscious level. We may not even recognize like these unholy desires that we have until we really think about it. And so um, I know that this might be awkward, but I just want you guys to, to reach your hands out, close your eyes. And we're just gonna ask God to search our heart, to make our desires known to us. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So God, that's what we ask tonight. We're asking, Lord, that you would show us the desires of our hearts. God, and if there's anything in there that's not you, if there's anything in there that's not of you, that's gonna lead us down a path of destruction, God, we ask that you would reveal that to us now. God, if there's anything that's leading us down the path of isolation or destruction, reveal that to us. God, if there's things that you want us to step into, desires that you want us to follow that are gonna lead to life, holy desires, God, I pray that you, that you would bring some of those up. But God, especially the, the desires that, are, that aren't of you, God, I just, wanna, um, I just wanna ask God, and students, you guys can look on the screen here. Ask this question honestly with God. If I could only have blank, then my life would be blank. God, we, we just bring this question to you. We say, what is in our heart? What are the things that we're thinking? Man, if only we had this thing, then my life would be blank. God, would you reveal just two of those things for us? What are the things in our hearts that we're holding that aren't of you? Maybe it's, God, if I could only have popularity, if I could only have this spot on the team, or God, if I could only have this relationship, whatever it is, God, reveal that to us. Reveal that to each of us, God. Now, just to say to you students, as you're talking with God, what, what do you fill those blanks with and why? Talk to God about, um, about the current desires of your heart. What, are, what is filling those blanks for you?
Lord, this is our prayer as we wrap up. Lord, what, what mundane daily steps do you need, need us to take in order to get in a place where we can say, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you? God, I pray that you'd reveal those things to, the, to our students. What are the daily mundane things, daily, what mundane daily steps do you need them to take in order to get in a place where you are their only desire, God? What desires do they need to starve and what desires do they need to cultivate? Would you show them that? It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.